Pelotero Pickle, episode 62. We're back after a week off. This is a full playoff recap. Everything from the Divisional Series, Championship Series, World Series preview. If you want playoff baseball, this is where you're going to find it. Check it out. Pelotero Pickle, episode 62. It is Monday, October 25th. A reminder to send your topics to us by email or by Twitter. Email is pickle at pelotero.com, or you can find us on Twitter at Pelotero Pickle. We took a week off last week dealing with some stuff. We're back this week. Chris, you're cold. Yes, it's cold. I'm not happy about it. I'm dealing with it. So you get your, your beanie on. It's was it in the third? Are you below 40 degrees up there now? No, it's just I'm because it's cold in general. I'm just a cold person, so I get cold all the time. So I just I go to a beanie is a good excuse for having to wear a hat without having to wear a hat because it's much softer on the brain. I like I hate wearing hats. I'm probably the only baseball player on the planet hates wearing hats, can't stand it, literally cannot stand it, and uh. Yeah, a beanie, a beanie is certainly more—it's comfortable. I, I like yeah, comfortable is not the right word. It's just more it's casual. See, I, I easy. So I, I don't know if any of the listeners have noticed or watchers have noticed, but I recently retired. That would have been counterintuitive. The listeners have noticed. Yeah, if you listen, well, you're not watching. I clarified. I know. Uh, I recently retired from wearing hats. I've been wearing a hat. It's a grown-up thing to do for like a, a month, a month and a half. Um, it's a big life change for me. I wore a hat for 38 years, and I stopped wearing hats. So, um, I just I just decided I was like, I'm not going to be a hat guy anymore. I just pulled the plug on it. So now I'm not a hat guy. Would be a beanie guy though, because I think especially like cage life, where the heat's usually not turned up very high, and uh, it's cold, so you just wear a beanie. Yeah, beanies are good, but it's it's uh, gonna be ninety degrees in Texas today, so no beanies down here. It is. I got, the, I got the cut sleeve hoodie. Not I got jeans on. Here. You know, you you know, you've adapted adopted the weather when uh when adapted, not adopted. Uh, when you wear jeans when it's ninety degrees out. I'm always cold. Doesn't matter. Well, nice beanie. Go Blue Jays. Let's uh, let's get into the topics. We got a bunch of playoff stuff to recap. A lot of moments. A lot of a lot of stuff has happened, which is good. Um, let's just start going right down the list. We got the White Sox uh, Astros series. I think the Astros were probably underrated going into the playoffs. I was high on the White Sox. I thought their pitching staff was going to be really good. Um, nope, Kimbrel did not, did not pitch well for the White Sox. What happened? I thought that was like a very anticlimactic series, and I thought exactly what was supposed to happen happened. The Astros have the 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 guy that won the batting title hitting seventh. Just think about how good that offense is. And Tucker is way down the lineup too. Tucker's a stud. Yeah, those two guys are hitting sixth and seventh for that team. So, I mean, that guy led. So they have the, the American League batting champion and the guy who led the league in hitting from May, I think it was May 31st or whatever it was from. So from May 1st or whatever, 
because he hit so bad in April, and he also didn't hit great in May, but it, like literally the best second half of anybody in baseball. Just in it, I, I was talking to uh, a former guest on our show, Pete Fatsy, a couple of days ago because they just played him. Like the Astros are really good. Their offense is unbelievable, and I'm happy for them because hopefully they can get past this whole whatever thing that people want to still talk about. And But the White Sox just weren't that good. I don't think they were that good. Their pitching staff, I think, was, was going to make or break them, but obviously broke them. Yeah, they're, so the White Sox, we've talked before about the concept of like uh, regular season rosters versus postseason rosters. I feel like the, 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 the White Sox aren't quite there yet with grindy at bats with they have too many holes in the line. It feels like the Astros top to bottom, their lineup with exception to Maldonado, who's a terrific, terrific catcher so that he stays in there. But yeah, I felt like Astros one through nine minus one was just devastating on a pitching staff. It's the, they struck out the least in baseball. Uh, and that's always a sign of, they're going to be scrappy. Uh, when we played the Royals in 2015, same thing. Struck out the least of any team. And those are the at-bats you need to put together in the postseason, especially against good pitching staffs. And uh, it's manifested itself for them. Yeah. So uh, the Red Sox came out of the wild card game. They had so much momentum. The series against... Is momentum the- a thing? Uh, yeah. Momentum is. The Red Sox, so you go on winning streaks sometimes, and then there's a moment where it's like, all right, that's our luck has peaked. It's going to go downhill from here. Yeah, but momentum is only three. as good as your starting pitcher. It's That's it. Like, if your starting pitcher pitches good, then you have good momentum. Uh, I, think, I think sometimes you have, you know, hits that drop in, things that go right for you, just weird, like balls bounce weird. Things happen. I just think momentum is a wrong word. I think it's good energy. You have good energy. You have good positivity. You have good vibes. I don't think momentum is a thing in baseball because you don't control the ball. You don't control the ball on offense. So your momentum can't get generated by your own volition. Like you can make the other pitcher feel crappy and then he could, you know, suck because of that but you you can't generate momentum offensively i don't think it has to be created by an outside life form anyway this is not the point of the story keep going yeah so momentum i think the momentum was very much with the red Sox. i'm gonna call it momentum because that's what i thought it was and i agree that it's energy but they they rolled through the yankees they rolled through tampa um game three against houston it felt like the fan base, it felt like the, the, the post-game Fox thing where they had the fans outside of Fenway, they were acting like they had just won the World Series. And not to say that the fans are the thing, the whatever, but when they kept adding runs on that game and then when Renfro made the slide and catch to end the game, it was just way too casual. I'm like, this is not sustainable. Their energy level and their, their luck, their success, things that were happening. Um, Patrick had sent us a, t- a tweet about like their top five guys in the lineup, their OPSs were like 1400. It's like, this is not sustainable. 
And I felt like the, the slide and catch at the end of game three, um, the play when uh, Erod was tapping on his, it's my time thing. Didn't like that. I didn't like it in real time. Hindsight is pretty strong on that one. I just felt like they needed to keep their heads down and play in their game. Would that have made a difference in the series? I don't know, but they, the Astros are just really good. And I think uh, Boston kind of became who they were. I've had a lot of questions about all this, right? About the postseason. What are you seeing? What are you learning about teams? And I said, I'm not learning anything. I know everything that I knew already about all these teams. And the thing that you figure out in the playoffs is you can't hide. Like, you can't hide your flaws. You're going to get exposed at some point. Everything that is real about you will get exposed, period. Like the Rays in a seven game series, the Rays struck out a ton. Guess what they did in the playoffs? They struck out a ton. The Astros can hit. They got a ton of two out hits and scratched and clawed and like, and just beat the brakes off Boston for the last three days. Like that series was almost in hand, right? For the Red Sox. Like they, it they felt were, like when they were up two one, it felt like they were up three, nothing. And, and the funny thing is, is game one was very much in reach for them right game one was like they had game one it felt like game one it's crazy when you go from a five gamer that is like really emotional and tight like houston didn't have one of those houston walked away with that series against the white Sox. boston had a really emotional series against tampa it's funny when that series ends you go to the next series and you're like oh man this one's seven this is gonna be like casual and you go to game one and you're like la-di-da and it's almost like you don't care. And I don't mean that, like you don't care. We did that. And I don't even remember game one of the ALCS. That's how ridiculous it was. Don't remember it. It's the only game from the playoffs I don't remember at all. I don't remember who pitched. I, I like it was because it was weird. It was like uh, Estrada against Chris Young or something like that. Yeah, or, it was a hangover game. Yeah. You, guys had just, you had just got the, the big Jose Baflip yeah. game. And then yeah. all of a sudden you go into game one of the ALCS. You're like, oh, we got time. And Boston, like, they didn't lay an egg. They just gave it up. Like it was five, four in the ninth or whatever. They went to Salamura who hadn't pitched in a while. Like they, they didn't go to Hauk or Whitlock or whoever one of their like lockdown guys was at the end. And all of a sudden they lose game one. And then they come back, win game two, beat the pound them in game three. And like you said, everybody thought it was over. And in typical Red Sox fashion, Northeasterners get super emotional. Ah, A-Rod, you stink. Like, just shut up and let them do the post game. Like, relax. Like, that was obnoxious. That, it was that, uh, brutal. It was the There worst. were some funny comments, though. Though My favorite one was somebody yelled, hey, A-Rod, what's your, what's your favorite Ben Affleck movie? Yeah, I mean, That's like, funny. it's funny <laughs> for like four seconds. It's funny. It's terrible when you can't hear the post game for... Like, oh yeah no but that it, that was a good that was a tweet behind it like somebody in the crowd i thought that was a funny comment I, I get if you're a rod coming into boston you're gonna get some heat from the fans i thought that was funny and the crazy thing was to me is how it, it like everything got derailed right it went from it went from the red Sox are stealing signs to the astros are stealing signs again to the red Sox suck to alex core is still a cheater and he's the worst manager ever and this is the stuff that I don't understand. Like whatever you're almost not even allowed to be good in today's day and age without somebody accusing you of being crappy. Or if you lose, you automatically suck. I've seen more chorus sucks 
messages and I'm like, guys, let's just pump the brakes a little bit. He didn't have the horses to run the race. He wasn't even supposed to be here. Like literally not supposed to be here. So let's like, let's step back and go like give him a round of applause because Houston was a way better team than them. And especially in the last two days when both the kids came out just throwing absolute petroleum. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get into a specific at bat. There was uh, JD Martinez at bat. I think it was game two. Uh, three pitches off the plate in a row. See ya. You, you know the about I'm talking about? I mean, I off the plate, off the plate. Yeah, yeah the that plate. was my man last behind the dish. Yeah, so the the, the robot strike zone is going to get some airtime this offseason no, for sure. But uh, let's ignore the strike zone. So you know Laz is behind the plate. He's is it does he have a reputation of being yeah, a good umpire? And I mean he's not he's he's a good dude. Like, but here's the thing. This guy's never umpired by the lines on the strike zone. It was game four Laz had. It was the one they lost when Evaldi threw the back door breaking. This ball. one, this one was in uh Houston. I'm okay. watching the video right now. I think I I'm pretty sure it was game two. So I don't remember who was behind the plate. Although uh, Jimmy Wolf had one of the games. He was really good. Game six, I think. But anyway, I don't know who had game two. Yeah, the balls are off the plate. Whatever. It's not like if he calls it. No, I want to talk about the approach as a hitter. So you're up there in a playoff game. I forget the exact exact situation, but it's playoff game. You're J.D. Martinez. Excuse me. Playoff game. J.D. Martinez. Three straight pitches. Don't take the bat off your shoulder. After each pitch, he's kind of showing, like, that's not a strike. I don't like that call. Uh, at what point do you say, this guy's calling this, this pitch a strike? Because I I, meant, I commented on Twitter, and people were like, oh, you got to stick to your approach, bubble. I'm like, your approach has to change. For me, your approach has to change. I'm going to get on the plate. I'm going to take it away. I'm going to do everything I can to get to that pitch. If the umpire's proving that he's going to call it six inches off the corner, I have to do something about it. Yeah. Or or do you take the approach that, nope, I'm sticking to my game plan, and if he's going to call that, I'm going to walk back to the dugout. This is a playoff game. That's yeah. the, the difference for me is it's a playoff game. Listen, those reactions that you're hearing are just a microcosm of how society is now, right? There are people being like, ah, ah, ah. Like, at the end of the day, somebody wins and somebody loses, and you don't get to change the outcome with your words and with your bitching after. So, like – the point of the story is you figure out how to win when you're in the arena and that's it. And like the Red Sox did a really good job of doing that for, I would say the better part of the postseason. And then as soon as like Houston came back in one game four, when it was a two to one game and they won an extras or whatever, and then everything changed and they started putting, I think unnecessary pressure on themselves because they knew what they were dealing with on the other side. Um, but yeah, you did. <laughs> You know, the the teams that are successful are the ones that are willing to find a way. And and ultimately, at the at the end, there's only one team that wins their last game. There's only one team that hoists a trophy. So if you want to be that team, you really have to do things that are not normal, I guess, or not they're, they're outside the realm of and scope of just what what what's really within the game and then you can define the strike zone however you want you can say whatever you want but like at the end of the day you're out or you're safe and that's it and i i hate i hate the justification of oh well the strike zone this like it's just 
It's, that ain't it. If he's calling it, it's strike. It's for 130 years it's been that way. Yeah, oh, there's a box on TV. Cool. Doesn't matter. The box on TV has never mattered. Now everybody thinks it matters. Go paddle think, your butt off. I think you just need to compete in that situation. Yeah, go paddle. Go grind. The strike zone is defined in the moment and in that on that day. Listen, there's one thing I can say about Major League umpires for the most part is they're consistent. Like game four, Laz Diaz had the plate. He called everything glove side, right-handers, like away to righties, glove side for right-handed pitchers to that side of the plate. He evolved he threw the, ba- the backup breaking ball top of the zone. It was a weird pitch. It was a slider. He didn't get it because it was the other side of the dish. But like, uh, like he was calling balls two balls off on the outside corner, right-handed hitters. Call ball two two balls off. Hey, you better not give him anything in. And that that's just part of the, the the dynamic of baseball. I would turn around and ask, hey, Laz, is that as far as you're going? Like, yes, you see, that's it, baby. You would always say. I'd be like, all right. What's the so that's something that I would do. I don't know if enough players are doing that sort of thing. What's the, what's a good way to ask and what's a bad way to ask? Is that as far as you're going? Is that the corner? Is that the edge? Is that the bottom? Is that the top? So if you define where the edge is, now if he goes further, you can say, that's too far. You went further than you said you were going to. And now you know you have an argument. Never turn around and say, you're wrong. Never say you. Don't say you. Just don't say you. And then something bad after. You can say, you sure about that? You can't say, you suck. You're terrible. That's fair. You say that was a terrible call. Kevin Pilar always used to say, "Hey, I'm gonna need you to check tape on that." <laughs> I love that. It's, I just I wanted to pull up the uh, the Bull Durham. I can't say it on this podcast. It's a kid show, but what you know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah, the CSer. Yeah, he's like, I said it was a CSer call. I didn't call you yeah. a CSer. Yeah. <laughs> if you know the movie, then you know. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into National League. We uh, we didn't get an opportunity to talk about the Dodgers Giants series and the check swing heard around the world. Friend of the program, Eric Kratz, with his with his feedback about the umpire. Looking at the player's face, do you think that's a good judge of whether or not a player's swinging back, Chris? It's it's literally the most absurd call on the field. It's the, it's, it's the, there's no rule. Nobody knows what the rule is. Well, yeah. What is there's the rule? No definition of the rule. Is, the people keep talking about intent to swing. Listen, the, the only thing that, that anybody has ever gone off of is to see where the, the, the end of the bat ends up in relation. If the end of the bat ends up past 90, you went if the end, if the end of the bat ends up not past ninety you didn't go and it's impossible to see it because if you're the first base umpire third base umpire whichever side you're what I mean, is the actual rule is there an actual rule they say that if you had intent to swing like I used to think it was like if the bat crossed the front edge of the plate but then what if the guy's up on the box um, I feel it, like if if the wrist break it's if, a ninety it goes, degree rule it's a perpendicular it goes, rule yeah if it. it goes past it's a perpendicular rule if it's perpendicular to your body or to the box. Like that's the line. Anyway, they have no idea what what the right call is. Umpires just usually are are good about it. If it's belligerent, they call it. Where if you went too far, like way too far, if you broke that ninety degree, whatever, they'll call it. 
in that moment, you have to have feel the looking at the face thing. I, whatever. I don't know. Like the insinuation is that the player is going to tell you if he swung. Let's clarify one thing. Which is Miguel Cabrera when he used to point down for the like he Miguel yeah. that's what, I love that when he used to do that. Let's clarify one thing. Just for all the, the people that are talking about the check swing, this is a hundred and seventeen percent chance Wilmer Flores was gonna be out that at bat no matter what. Okay. So the check swing didn't change the game. Wilmer Flores, oh for seventeen career against Max Scherzer, had never had a hit against him, ever. And it was only a runner on first with two outs. Um the defining moment in that game was earlier in the game when when KB came up to bat. Brandon Crawford was on first with with, uh, with nobody out. And KB struck out on a 5-0 count. Yeah, I mean like look, I thought I thought the pitch I thought the pitch down was the only one that was bad in that at bat. The one in was a slot lefty slider coming, you know, that way. I can see how you call that pitch a strike. Um even though it didn't hit the box, like, look, because <laughs> yeah, you can't. Uh, I don't remember what the guy was calling that game. I just thought the pitch that was in. It's no, the tough one, when the, the one box down is was there. Good. When the, the box was is on, there, it was on the edge. It's flip a coin, dude. Like the box might be wrong. Just FYI, because it, it's floating in space. The and one like, game, the uh, ooh. the the Red Sox game with the Evaldi breaking ball, it looked like the box was shifted. Yeah, and you always see it flicker on TV. Like you just, it's there's no way to actually truly like understand. Like they, there's margin for error there too. Like the point of depth where it crosses, all those things are are, have to be considered. Like the box isn't like a fixture in space. Like it's not like perfect. I I don't think people understand that. Um. Anyway, yeah, that was the moment in the game. The Wilmer Flores check swing, it just sucks. There's no feel for that call. Like, you have to have feel. Like, don't end the game on the check swing. Let him strike out on his own, which he will the next game. By the way, good chance the fact that hat on Scherzer was – the fact that they brought Scherzer in was – killed him in the next series. Didn't even get the pitch. Yeah, that – so that was going to be something I want to bring up for the, uh, the rest of the National League. So the Brewers just didn't hit. They didn't – Because they can't hit. They, yeah, just, they don't they really don't good at pitching, at not great at hitting. Um, we've had multiple requests. We need to do a Yelich breakdown, so yeah. we'll we'll have to get on that. Um, they just didn't hit. They just the Braves were better. Um, your boy Alex Anthopoulos doing his thing again with the Braves. It's really, all just the trainers. Bringing the people. Coolest and Mike Frostad. That's it. Well, he's bringing humans in to play baseball instead of iPads. So. I mean, the Dodgers were a very good baseball team and the Braves, I feel like, I think because they were, they had a losing record in like June, I think they were like 52 and 55 at one point. And then they just went off. They had the best record since then. Um, the Braves were fun to watch. Tyler Matzik was in the American Association two years ago. He had a 5-9 in 2018. In the American Association, in twenty in twenty nineteen, when I played against him, ranked him obviously. Uh, no, he struck me out once. I got a hit the other time. He pitched, I think, either back to back game. <laughs> Batting five hundred, ranked him. Yeah, I'm hitting five hundred against that guy. The Dodgers probably needed me for him. Uh, no, he was good. He threw hard, uh, good slider. Like, but he was. I mean, obviously, you can tell there's different energy with that team. Um, 
their bullpen's all left-handed, like all the good guys. Uh, I feel bad for the Jackson kid. He just keeps giving it up and about to lose his mind. But you can tell there's special energy there. Uh, Brian Snicker is unbelievable. Like, well, I, I got to spend time with him in, in Italy uh, a couple years back when we went to do that convention. Uh, it was me, him, Derek Johnson. And uh, just a great man. And I'm so happy for him. Um, you know, you lose Acuna early in the year and you just had a bunch of dudes that just stepped up and like really Albies has, has become, I think a very, a bona fide like leader on the team. Like you could tell he's playing with character, taking so much pressure off Freeman to just be that guy. Not that I think Freddie ever played with pressure on himself. Um, but you can tell, like, as a young player, Albies has taken a lot of the responsibility of, you know, holding everybody together. Um, Austin Riley's obviously just developed and blossomed into a great hitter. He had, his numbers in the minor leagues were awesome, so I never doubted that he would hit in the big leagues. Um, and I think it's just a really a, a team that's really come together. And then obviously the moves, they've talked about the moves at the, at the deadline. They went and got a whole new outfield, basically. The impressive thing is who they gave up, which was basically nothing. Yeah. Like they traded Pablo Sandoval and then a bunch of non top prospect players and rebuilt their entire outfield. Yeah. They got, they literally got four outfielders at the break. They got Rosario, Duvall, Peterson, and Soler. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, who needed Peterson? The Dodgers. Yeah. They needed his energy. They needed his, uh, well, I, I I feel like he's a guy that could, he, he needs to play for the right team, right? Because he's got unique energy and personality. He's wearing pearls, which is weird, and tweeners, which is also weird. Um, and he hits homers a lot when he does. I, it's just a good blend of guys, man. I, so Rosario was obviously the man of the hour for that whole series, had like 14 hits. The at-bat, the homer he hit in game six – off of uh Bueller. Bueller. So he went cutter cutter. He missed them by like a foot each. I'm like, probably just throw that cutter again. Went fastball away, fouled it off, and just grinded through in a bat. Did he hit a slider or a cutter out? No, it was a little cutter again. But he got it was kind of left more over the middle of the plate, cleared it out. So that that at bat, you could tell. I think that was in the was it in the fourth inning or fifth inning. It was at the point in the game where it's like if the Braves get a couple shutdown innings, it's it's that like starting to, the clock is running out to feeling that you get when if it was a solo homer, then you're one swing away. If it's a two run lead, but it was a three run lead, it was like well, the Dodgers, the Dodgers were gonna come. You knew they were gonna come, but they had second and third, nobody out, and struck out three straight at bats. Um Mookie, three pitches in a row. Like you know, it was crazy. Like you could tell he went up to bat and he, he was looking slider the whole AB. And the funny thing is Matzik has plenty of fastball. Right. And I, I remember from the American association, you just got to look heater. You can't, you can't, you don't look slider. He's got a decent little slider. It's not, I mean, I think, I think left on right slider is the most devastating pitch for right-handed hitters. And I don't know why guys look for it because usually if you, if you get it, it's going to be one you don't want to swing at it anyway. Um, he struck Pujols out with the slider and then he struck Suze out with a heater and he struck Mookie out with three heaters. 
you got like you got to push one of those across LA. You can't leave. Listen, I love I love Albert, but in that situation, Pool Souza is not who you're looking for. And yeah, that, well, I, with that roster, how you got how you rolling Pool Souza out? Um, and then Mookie, like you got a base open, so you can pitch him how you want to. You got, you got uh, what Seager on deck, so you got lefty lefty if you go base loaded. The Dodgers couldn't hit lefties all year. And that dude's like he's a little bit different lefty. And the Dodgers, the Dodgers went and made moves. Andy Burns got activated. My guy Burnsy got activated because they couldn't hit lefties. Yep. Uh, let's talk about soft stuff. From let's talk about away from him. Let's talk about Freddie Freeman for a moment. Freddie went from hitting the the game winning homer it wasn't a walk off homer in the previous series to striking out seven times in a row to start the NLCS seven times in a row, Freddie Freeman MVP last year. If you, if this happens to you, what is going through your head? His last at bat in that, after he struck out seven times, he was like, it looked like he was swinging, hoping to hit water falling out of a boat, just slashing at it. He, I think he flew out to left field, but it was, it was tough to watch what's going through your head. If you're in that moment, if you're a hitter, who's, just literally cannot hit the ball. Like it, the, it feels like there's a hole in your bat. What do you do? You just got to unblack out in that moment. Like, so, so the beauty of the fact that it was a postseason. bear in mind, he went over seven. He punched out seven straight bats. They had two straight walk-off wins. So at that point, it, if like, they're over, if they're on two in that moment, then it's a lot tougher. The only reason he was doing that to himself is because he was putting the pressure on himself to, to carry the team. And then, you win two games when you look that bad, you're like, oh, man, you can take a deep breath and relax. And that's what he did. He's a professional hitter. The guy is unbelievable. Like, he blacked out for two days. He just literally blacked out. And call it the emotional swing. Call it changing the sights. Call it he got too drunk. Like, whatever it was. Now, who knows? I'm just saying. Like, he – there was something. And this is why hitting is hard. Because you be the best player on the planet and be the worst player on the planet on any given day. And people don't understand that. And it's hard. Hitting's hard. Hitting is freaking hard. And so I want to I want to go through his game log real quick because there's something that so he went over four, four strikeouts. Then he went over through over four, three strikeouts. Three. Next game, uh, they were three. talking about how in batting practice he went back to his routine. He's big oppo. Three for four, three singles, and a walk. Pretty good bounce back game. But just it was very clear to me watching the games that he wasn't trying to do too much. Yeah. He was just staying on the ball. They were giving him that side of the field, which is crazy because that's what he does. Uh, next game, two for four, homer double, uh, homer double and a walk. Pretty good again. Next game, uh, another homer, yeah. two run homer. Um, and then the last game, oh for one, four walks. Four walks, stud nasty dog. So talk about like, don't try to do too much. Be patient. Let them come to you. Take what they give you. And then to go four walks in the final game when the, the Rosario's hitting in front of him, so he's getting protection. Um, just I thought it was very impressive to turn the series around to go from is seven so... punch outs in a row to the guy is... big hits. So we talked about who the most underrated players in baseball were. And I, it's, it's funny. He's so underrated to me 
that I don't even remember him when we have conversations about great hitters. He is, he might be the best hitter in the game. Like, like he remind like peak Joey Votto was is peak Freddie Freeman. Like they're the same, and and in the sense that it's so good, dude. Like just so good. That's what, and like you talked about using the big part of the field already. That's what makes this guy like just so special. And you just saw literally he couldn't have been worse for two games. Could not have been worse. Like actively, like he could have struck out one more time, but that's just as bad to go over eight with seven points because it was like a he the, the only ball he made contact on was like a McNugget to center or whatever you want to call it, just a, a Magoo to center weak. field. Soft, yeah. And uh, he's so good. But he, th- this is what great players do. They take they take the windows of suckiness and they shorten them, right? They make them smaller where you look at guys like Kike and Kike was on another planet. Chris Taylor on another planet. Like they're good players. Don't get me wrong. But when the thing goes haywire for these guys, when it goes sideways, their, their stretches are much longer. I was talking to, I was talking to Pete about this yesterday. I said the difference between guys that, that can look like Kike and look like CT in the postseason and have stretches like that and the best guys is like during the season, these guys will just disappear for two weeks. They'll just vanish. And like you look at what happened to Kike the last five, four or five games of this series, it disappeared. Like he hit a ball hard, but like, like wasn't scratching out the knocks, like, it was like the proverbial, uh, you know, poop house or castle. You guys tell me you've never heard that statement, but what did you say? Shit house or castle, man. Shit house or castle. Like you said, poop, poop house. house. Yeah, I said poop. Are. I, I didn't want to have the explicit E on this episode. Um, but the point is, guys like Freddie, they don't go more than two or three games without like without making an adjustment scratching one out like and and that's the difference in the game too bobby like hitters are unwilling they because they think they think that not going for it is going to make them not go for it when a guy like freeman just proved like i gotta get back to the other side of the field to shoot my ball through the through the six hole because that's going to tighten me up and that's what allows me to create my damage so the whole concept of, oh, yeah, I just got to go for it all the time. It's not a thing. Like, people talk about it. It drives me nuts. It's not a thing. Going for it. Like, if Joey Gallo just took a good left center six-hole swing all the time, he'd probably hit 280 with 50. Like, instead of hitting 200 with 40 or 37 or whatever it is. It, anyway. It, well, it, if it puts you in a good process, and good process is a good results. I just pulled up stats. So Chris Taylor, career 261 hitter. He hit 254 this year. Uh, Kike hit 250 this year, career 242 hitter. The difference between, and Freddie Freeman's a career 295 hitter. The difference between a 250 hitter and a 295 hitter is very big. It's very big. And the 250 hitter can get hot. Like Kike was as hot as can be, as hot as he'll ever be. Uh, they kept throwing him breaking balls that he could just clear out. Um, was Same thing with Taylor, hit. by the way. It was just absolutely crippling breaking balls. And then as soon as they get exposed a little bit, 
they're not going to battle through each at bat. They're not going to be the toughest out each at bat. It's just the, the difference between two, 300 and 250 is, is so big, especially in like the playoff environment when you're facing the best pitchers and you're the things that allow you to be a 300 hitter. Like what, what is it like? Oh, how many hits per week is it? Difference in 250 over the course of 16, 20, 25 weeks, you get an extra one a week. You're, you're home, but it's the mindset to me. It's it's so much about the mindset, exactly. The, it is the, it's the mindset, Bobby. It's not that, giving away a bats. I listen, people can tell me what they want to tell me about me, and they can think what they want to think about me. But I hit 300 my whole life, that's all I did, and the only reason I did is because I wanted to because I wasn't that good. Like, I just wasn't that good. Let's face it. I, 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 I have good hand-eye coordination. I have a little bit of athleticism, but I wasn't that good, man. Compared but to the other big leaguers that you were trying to buy, your athleticism was, I would say, pretty poor in comparison. I mean <laughs> – No offense. It was, I'm pretty bad athlete. I'm in the too. middle, like, for guys in my position. Let's relax, all right, with that – but anyway, the Don't point of the story, left field or right. But field. the point of the story, I, I'm not. I didn't. I'm not a left fielder. Let's clarify. That. Like at least if somebody let me practice left field, I would have been okay at it. I would have found a way to be okay. My point is, I just wanted to hit. I just wanted to hit 300, and that mindset trumps anything else. Like when I wasn't getting hits, and it probably drove me crazy when I was a kid. It probably like led me to like some dark places. But because when I was hitting 280, I'd be having a panic attack or whatever, or some sort of just anger and uh, like not be happy with who I was or not want to go out. But it drove me. It drove me. It just motivated me. That's the only way you can do things. But because if you fold too easily, it's you're never going to hit 300 if you don't think you can. And I just think most people don't think they can or don't care to anyway. And it's crazy to me. It's just insane. It's it's literally insane. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Dodgers pitching situation for a moment. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts. I had some thoughts about it when uh, when the games were happening. I was a little bit active about it on Twitter. The the I felt like the Dodgers were spending bullets early and losing options later in the games, like have Bruce Dar throw in the fourth or fifth inning of games. What? I don't understand. It's like when Andrew Miller was the, the absolute shutdown emergency high leverage situation guy. It was awesome, but they had the rest of the bullpen lined up with roles. How do you think that affected the Dodgers? And I don't know. I thought it was pretty crazy the way they it's abundantly clear that when you're putting guys in situations that they're not used to they're not succeeding um urias got thrown in as a reliever and he gave it up um he'd been a starter all year uh guys are coming in and early in games it's just it's not a recipe for success it's just not you have to have special cats be able to do it and look it can work sometimes but it doesn't work all the time and it's clear like so trying to mix and match and say this and any like I'm so tired this year it seemed like I heard more of the haterade from people of like oh well do this or do that and it's like look like you get to the place with a certain group of guys that's good at doing a certain 
amount of things. And like at the end of the day, you just ride or die with that, with that same thing that got you there. The Dodgers won 106 games this year. I mean, that's an obscene amount of baseball games. Julio Arias didn't come out of the bullpen for any of them. Max Scherzer didn't come out of the bullpen for any of them. And now all of a sudden you're playing these, these series and like, look, I game five, I understand going to him in some capacity because you thought it was important to win that game. Sure. Of course. Did it affect you moving forward? Uh, yeah. You think like one of the, one of the arguments that you see all the time is that, Oh, it's just another inning, you know, whether they pitch in the fourth inning or the eighth inning, you know, they're still going to get three outs. And I just, I disagree with that so much because the eighth inning is different than the fourth inning. And there are, there are certainly high leverage situations. Like when Matza came in and had second, third, no outs had to get the outs. That was a critical moment in the game. But I feel like in, I feel like you almost need to let your, your starter get, have a chance. This to work is why starters need to pitch deeper in games, dude. Like it's, it's so absurd. Like Logan Webb just absolutely ruined everybody's life. Logan Webb, former DHMT athlete, by the way. Oh, you think it's because of that, that he's pitching good? Or is it because he's just good? Um, so happy for that kid. The reason why I'm so tired of all of it because you're literally watching a kid like that who has been in the big leagues for five minutes pitching the eighth. And like, you can't, you can't do stuff that's so far off the reservation. Like it's, it's like not bunting all year. And then, Oh, you want to bunt now? Like, cool. That was, that was a follow-up. If the Dodgers are going to do that, should they just do it all year? Like they're trying to, and, and I understand it's the playoffs. It's a sprint. You're trying to win four games out of seven. Um, but it, at some point, do you have to put those guys in those situations if that's how you're going to try to win? In game two, you're not trying to win four out of seven. He brought Urias in in the eighth in games in game two. And by the way, Pedro Martinez talked about this multiple occasions. He do you goes, think? It's, do you think it, how much of it is the front office? Uh, I think it's all the front office. I watched my former teammate, Danny Lehman, with that great hair of his in the, in the dugout, standing right next to Roberts. He's like, Roberts is like, like he basically follows him the whole way around the dugout. Like you, that guy's not making any decisions on his own. And if he does, he makes them based on what he already knows because he's trying to protect his job because he likes his job. The same way fans here in Boston think that Cora is managing the bullpen and when he's not like it's, I mean, I'm sure he's got like a little bit of flexibility to make a decision hitter to hitter, whatever. It's terrible. Like a requirement for being a manager isn't even having feel for your players anymore. It's just listen to the data and listen to the analytics and it just keeps not working. And the scary part is Bobby is it works for somebody at the end of the day. Cause somebody got to win. But more often than not, you just, you know, get railroaded. And nobody ever talks about the times people get railroaded from a standpoint of, like, what's right and wrong in the game. There's just a lot of bad – a lot of bad judgments that are made that ultimately affect 
how they have this ripple effect, like pitching Scherzer on the bullpen, pitching Rios. They have ripple effects that people don't, you can't notice them until later, you know, and I understand wanting to do whatever it takes to win. And like, we have a system in place game, like game five and game seven are, are the only ones where uh, I'm, you have the freedom and flexibility to do it. Cause it's all hands on deck. Cause if not, it's winter, go home. You got to get to the next game. Um, so anyway. Uh, thoughts on the two managers survived that have survived the year, Dusty Baker and Snicker. These weird two of the old school, weird, good dudes, like weird people that care about their players, guys that it were, were uh, like, it's crazy, man. I know Snit. I respect Snit. I love Snit. He is everything that you want a manager to be. Really good article, I think, in Sports Illustrated about him and his whole journey. Baseball lifer, AAA for most of his career. He was a big, I think he was the first base coach of the big leagues for a few years within that. Um, It was funny when I was, when I was over there with him, I was sitting with his, him and his wife and, we were talking about being a big league manager and things like that. It's like, you know, making a little bit of money for the first time. And it's like, I, I never knew what it was like to have money. I was a triple A coach forever. And it's like, so this is incredible. And, but you want to talk about a guy who's humble, who understands his players, who understands the grind and the journey. And, and that's why he's here. He handled Acuna so perfectly, so perfectly two years ago. When he was doing all the, the crap, not running out of the box, pimping stuff, I was like, the first thing I said to Snit when I talked to him, because I'd played against him, he was a manager in AAA when I was there. When I got there, I said, Snit, I got to tell you something. We're walking around the Coliseum, and I'm on, like, no sleep. I was like, let me tell you something. Coliseum in Rome, we're talking. The Rome Coliseum, where yeah. the gladiators were. Yep. And I go, I go, hey, I, I, I don't know a ton about you. I said, but. I can get down with you because I, the way you handled that, that kid was absolutely phenomenal. Cause I don't think many guys in the game could have done what you've done now. Cause he had to do it twice. He had to pull him out the game twice because he showtime non homers because you're doing that kid a disservice. If you don't pull him out of the game. Well, that that's a perfect example of everybody on Twitter freaking out. Oh, you can't take Acuna out. He's too good. Well, let him have his fun. Like we're trying to win world championships here. Where you gotta set a tone. You have to you have to draw the line in the sand about what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. You're doing the player a disservice if you don't hold them to a standard. Alex Cora would be doing Eduardo Rodriguez a disservice if he didn't make him feel it. And this is the difference now, Bobby. Again, it's not that the surface level action. Of course, we don't. You don't, nobody likes yelling at anyone. Nobody likes getting mad at anybody. Nobody likes calling people out or holding them to a standard. The reason you do it is for the next time and for the next time and for the next time for growth. And it's now manifested itself in Atlanta and you're seeing it, how it's manifested. So the problem is people don't want to connect the dots. They don't want to say that one has to do with the other when it's so belligerently obvious that it does. And that that is why great managers and great players are held to a certain standard. And that's why as a generation, like just like from a thousand, 30,000 foot view, we don't like what's going on because we know 
because we've lived it, right? And, you know, people can be in denial all they want, but it is what it is, man. Freddie Freeman's, um, Freddie Freeman's interview after they clinched to go to the World Series was really cool. He was talking about how, you know, X number of years ago, they lost so many games and the progression to get to this point to lose the Dodgers last year, to beat them this year, like getting over the hump requires special things to happen. And bat flips on homers in June don't mean anything (laughs) if you're trying to win a championship. Go ahead, have your fun though. Uh, Let's do a World Series matchup preview to, to wrap things up here. We have Astros whose pitching staff is with, uh, what's his name? Uh, McCullers. McCullers. I was going to say McCuster. McCullers, uh, is he going to be back? Do we know? Any any news on Got that? It. So McCullers, who I believe was their ace all year. Mm-hmm. Um, him being out is a big deal. The Braves have really good pitching. Two human managers on both sides. I'm excited for the series. I think it's going to be a really good series. I think the majority of the baseball world is going to be rooting for the Braves. Uh, I think major league baseball wanted Boston Dodgers, but I, I think it's going to be a good series. I think it's going to be really major good. League baseball just wants the biggest TV markets. I, yeah. Boston, Boston, LA would have been yeah. the big, a huge series for ratings purposes. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'd like the Braves to win just because my, my relationship with the manager, that's it. That's all I got. I've had, I've had, I've had a horse in every race. Basically, Houston's like pretty much the only team where I don't, I didn't know somebody or have. I, I mean, I know Altuve. He's right here. My friend Jose. Um, he's so little. Yeah, he's he's, so, he's little. so good. Yeah, I call he's him Chiquito, man. Uh, he's so small. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know anybody on the team. I know Brantley. I played with Brantley for a minute. Um, I think, defense, I think defense could be a sneaky factor in the series. It always is. On defense, man. It always is. But Altuve is a better defense I, than. I think yeah. Altuve has got some gremlins, some defensive gremlins. He's yeah, got a little, little knob lock, but with the glove and not with the throw. Yep. He's got a little, uh, little gremlin situation. Uh, man, I think, I think it's going to be good baseball. I don't know if the rating is going to be high, but I think it's going to be good baseball. I think both teams are going to compete on the offensive side. Um, I'll be looking for both teams. Somebody texted me and asked what what trends I saw in the postseason. I'm looking for guys to just take advantage of shifts this series, get on base, find ways to win. Um, I think neither team is really like that go to the bullpen early type. So unless the starter's getting rocked. but Well, I mean, the Astros – basically have to have like a bullpen day somewhere in there. But having, having one bullpen day is not a big deal when it's, when every day is a bullpen day, that's when it gets seven game series turn into it's obviously it's a two game series, a three game series and two game series. So you can use your leverage relievers six times. You can use your leverage guys six times because you can go two on in the first two, you get the break off. Then you pick one off in the three, and, and and then you can go the last two again. So this is like how you have to play it. You can use your leverage guys six times, um, which 
is good, but it can also be bad because the more you see guys, the more comfortable you get with them coming yep. out of the bullpen. I think that's a huge, huge factor with um, showing guys arms early in games too. With the- but this is a the first really smart thing I've ever heard A-Rod say. He was like, by and large, right, growing up or getting to pro ball, like why is a guy a starter versus why is a reliever? Because the starter's better. He's just a better pitcher, right? Guys become relievers ultimately in the pros, and then they just start learning how to throw a thousand and, you know, like blow just, the tank or whatever. They, yeah, they have permission to empty the tank. Yeah. Just come in and blow it out. So literally when when you look at using a starter versus using a reliever in the postseason, the starter's a better pitcher. The starter's just better. And now if I see the reliever six times, it, like he could be the best reliever in baseball, but now I've seen him sick if like he just happens to hit the same imagine seeing a guy three times in six days or seven days or eight days or four times in eight days if that same part of the lineup comes through as opposed to during the season if you're out of division you might see him once maybe twice i could I, dude we played we played the royals in kansas city at home i didn't face wade davis all year and then i had to get him twice in the in the in 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 the alcs Mm -hmm. so now like if he had pitched every game and my spot like by the third or fourth time i got we got more comfortable with them right oh devastating cutter because like that day you don't know if it's gonna be the best one or whatever anyway i'm done i think it's gonna be a good series i'm looking forward to it i'm i've i've entered uh i would say more fandom for these this postseason than I have in a long time. It's because the crowds are back and watching baseball on TV is not brutal anymore. That's, the crowds are super energetic. The the in Atlanta when they turn the lights off and they go tomahawk chop, it's that's high energy. The stuff crowds, the crowds that are that missed baseball last year, energizing the broadcasts. It's unbelievable, like the difference and. You, I, I appreciated how much it was like to not have the fans there because the broadcast sounded like crap, and the announcers don't get energized during the call if there's no fans. The way announcers are getting energized is even different. So, and look, <laughs> Pedro said this the other night. He said this is the best playoffs I've ever seen, the most engaging or the best I remember. And I, I don't even know if that's true, but it feels that way. Like I, I don't I don't know if it's true or not, but it, it's felt that way. Like no, every, I, I think every you're moment right. Has felt like every series has had kind of, the, I told you the White Sox Astros felt like Magoo, and every other series has been like really cool. The two wild card games, the the one wild card game was great. Went to the wire. Boston obviously, you know, buggy whipped the Yankees. But like in the division series, like Freeman hits a big homer, you're not expecting Atlanta to win. Uh, Dodgers Giants went to five. It's been good. Boston there was uh, I I, I saw something. I saw like a a barstool thing, a take on on why like night games are better. It's like the night effect. The night effect in playoff baseball games is so awesome. Day games in the playoffs it. are the yeah, worst. Games. Like a shadow game in L.A. Like the crowd's Love not them. there yet. Just brutal. Yeah. You need the night effect. We had the four o'clock or three o'clock or whatever it was in the ALCS, like four out of the six games, and it was so annoying. 
It was so annoying. I hated it. it. The good thing is in Toronto, you don't really know the difference because you're playing with the roof closed. Yeah. But still, like, it was so stupid to play at 4 o'clock on a Wednesday. They're going to go uh, weather. So cold weather won't be a big issue, both southern climates. Um, they're gonna, they, they close the dome for playoff games, right? It's always closed, closed roof. Yes. I think they always do that for uh, – They did that last time in Houston. Yeah. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a good series. I, I, I don't really have a prediction. I promise there'll be at least four more baseball games. I at guarantee least. that. At least. Very good. All right. That's it. Take us out. Smell you later. Pickle. Ah!